0: Welcome to Startups with Niall Mar. This is a show that covers a wide variety of business and startup topics, but ultimately the goal is to give you tips, strategies, and advice to grow your business and hopefully entertain you along the way. You won't just be learning from me. I'll also be chatting with founders and other interesting people from the startup world and sharing their conversations with you too. Thanks for listening and let's grow together. Unicorns in business are rare. And even rarer here in Ireland, because today's guest is from Flipdish, Ireland's fifth homegrown unicorn. And they only became a unicorn back in January, so it's very recent. The guest today is Head of Product Chris Dermody, and Chris has been there since there was about a dozen developers. And he will talk about what it takes to be successful as a product manager and Head of Product, both as a team and an individual within his role at Flipdish. We talk about his journey some tips for founders, and we'll bond a little bit over our lord and saviour, Marty Kagan. If you're wondering what it's like to run product for one of Ireland's fastest growing startups, stay tuned because I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope you enjoy it nearly as much as I did. Why don't you start by telling us, because you've been working in product for 10 years, which is a lifetime in this industry, full stop, because I didn't even know of product management as a real career to a lot of people until about five years ago. I didn't just didn't Especially in the Irish market, it just wasn't a thing. So, what made you fall into that role as opposed to any other, I guess?
1: Yeah, I did that. I fell into it accidentally, basically, right? It's an interesting story. And I always mention how lucky I feel to have landed where I am. I feel incredibly lucky throughout lots of different weird things that happened. I went to college to study product design, which was industrial design, basically. So, like to, uh, designing hardware. So, learned how to model uh, 3D software, CAD, and yeah, the processes that you go through to like create a, a computer mouse, right? So you sketch it first loads of times, try and figure out what you're doing. Well, first of all, you talk to people and try and understand what's the problem with mice already, right? And it was fine. I did that for four years, got the degree, but I was, by the end of it, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was, it's incredibly slow. Like, hardware is hard, right? Uh, it's really difficult and slow to get feedback. Like, that example, I remember literally. We made a, a computer mouse, and you sketch out loads of times, and then you start making some foam models and maybe some paper models, and then you get them into people's hands, and then they say, "Oh, it's not quite right in this way," and then you do it again. Then you build it in three D on a computer, and then maybe you three D print it. It was just so incredibly slow. And one of the modules for um on that course was a, a, like a tiny bit of web development. It was like I think it was like the the project was like, you just need to present your product on a web page basically. And I was just learning a bit of HTML and CSS and that was the first kind of step into software, like, like building anything like web based or whatever. So I left college and then drove a van for four years because I didn't want to do product design. So I was a delivery man for four years. And I remember then thinking, come on, I've got a degree. Surely I can find a better job than being a delivery man. Um, and I was also actually, sorry, I was delivering food as well at the time. I remember one of our, one of Fliptish's clients now, I worked for them back 10 years ago, I suppose, or 11 years ago. And I was literally in the car park waiting on a delivery and I was like, right, let's search the job market for anything related to product. Because like you said, product management isn't really a thing. I, I wasn't aware of it as a thing. And um, so I started looking for, just I just literally put into job search uh, product. And some product management jobs came up and I was like, okay. And one popped up and it was like a decent salary. And I was like, okay. It was so vague. It was like really like just you need to know Excel and you need to be, you know, have a, an awareness of user experience. And I'd previously done some work around, because uh, I like woodwork. And I was trying to, I was making bottle openers out of whiskey barrels. And I was putting, I was so proud of myself. I was putting like a little bit of whiskey into each box so that when you open the box, people would smell whiskey. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a really good user experience. Uh, so I used that in the interview and they were like, oh my God, it's really impressive. And I gave them like a pre- like whiskey barrel bottle opener and they were like, oh yeah, I can smell the whiskey. So I got the job. And all of a sudden then I'm a product manager and I didn't know what I was doing, but it was, uh, that was my first kind of, yeah, dipping the toe into product management. And during that role, then I just sort of, I, I dove much more deeply into actually getting hands-on with code and not in that role, sorry, but during that role, I was building like Chrome extensions just to, you know, help out myself and my team's just daily workflows and that kind of thing. Um, One of the things that made me fall in love with web development was how quick it was, right? You can literally open up a website, open up the developer console, change the color of something, and it's right there. There's no sketching out, building a 3D model, like, and then getting into someone's hands, like, so and uh, the immediacy and the, the the really tight feedback loop was was what pulled me there and i kind of just went from there then you know two years in that pm role got me into a different like slightly better role as a product manager and just building again and again each time not knowing what i was doing by the way and i think that it's an interesting sort of um, element now like as we're so like i mentioned we're hiring in flipdish and One of the things I think we struggle with is all different companies define product management in different ways because there isn't, there probably is now, but back when I was doing it, there was no course in product management. You couldn't like, you know, you can now go to and do a course on computer science and then that will get you a sort of like a specific set of jobs. It'll qualify you for a specific set of jobs, but I don't, maybe there is now for product management. There wasn't back then, but yeah, I just fell into product management and. I was really lucky. I like it. I like doing what I do. I find building software for people is really rewarding. In I I don't fully understand why, but it's I guess just building something and seeing people use it and, and being happy with it, whatever it is, uh, whether it's software or hardware, is just I guess rewarding. So that's kind of in a nutshell how I got how I got here.
0: Pure luck, basically. It's funny. I've worked as a delivery driver for a chipper before and things. Mm. So it's interesting, those little insights. I always tell people when they're working through their careers and what they think are crappy jobs and everything else that they end up shaping what we become anyway in some weird, inadvertent way. Like, for instance, I know I enjoy sales more than most people because my job before tech was fine wine sales. So I realized people love stories. You just tell them a good story and they'll buy the expensive bottle. They don't actually care about the taste in the sense of it has to have some meaning and story and vision behind the the piece itself. But on the the web development side of stuff as well, I totally get it. It's the instant gratification and how cheap it is to fuck up. Because (laughs) if it's real, as I call it, real engineering, If you fuck up a bridge, it's expensive. But if you're just playing around with some code, it's free for all intents and purposes. As long as you haven't put it in production or you haven't made like a a huge blunder and you have to write checks and balances in place. It's pretty much free, infinitely free to just fail and fail upwards and learn something as you're building and adapting things as well.
1: That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that angle. But yeah, it's, it's free. Because I remember like to, to 3D print something or whatever like costs real money. <laughs> Whereas I suppose with software, all it is is just time, I guess.
0: Yeah. Time is the only thing it costs, which is... I know it's a valuable... A commodity, yeah, but it's a, it, yeah. it's a lot cheaper than all the material that goes into something physical and real and something that you can change. And I love that sense of it. Like I focus a lot on front-end coding and things because it's also my attention span. I like the instant gratification of it. It's just like, I've done something I can show somebody. Like running yeah. run up to my mom with a crayon drawing and saying, look what I did. Local host, 4,000. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's pretty cool. And is there any kind of highlights from those jobs or places that you got really tripped up, or did you at any point have any crippling doubt? Since you said you you didn't know what you're doing through the whole thing, was there any point where you're just like, I'm not sure?
1: Yeah, I mean every day. <laughs> I think uh, the I don't know. I, I have to be careful. Sometimes I can let the fact. Like that imposter syndrome, right? Like you can let that get in on you a little bit and it's a hundred, like everyone deals with it. There's, I mean, there's books and movies and TV shows about this exact phenomenon in like the highest performing people to have ever graced the earth. So I think in one sense it's natural, but in another sense, I kind of, I find, I, I always tend to self deprecate myself and be like, Oh, I don't know. But then when you actually look back and look, like, well, actually, no, I do know that. Sorry. But the doubt is there all the time. And I think in a way it makes you stronger, right? Because, I guess you're less susceptible to your own biases, right? Like somebody who's so sure of themselves and utterly confident in everything, the first thought they have, they're not going to be open to be able to say, oh, well, actually, I can see that from your point of view, or maybe I got it wrong. Maybe we should do it this way. I think it's an asset to have that in a sense, as long as you don't let it cripple you from just being paralyzed by it. But it's a, it's a balance, like everything, I guess you have to try and find the the sweet spot between being open and almost vulnerable in a way, while also knowing what you know and being confident. It's a, it's a very, it's a knife-edge balance. But yeah, I mean, I can't think of any major screw-ups. I mean, I've definitely screwed up. They haven't found out yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, they found out. I remember actually there was an interesting screw-up about in my early days in Flipdish. So about three years ago, actually, almost to the nearly to the day, I, I'd come from a company that I, I won't name, but I guess it's on my LinkedIn. So it was from World, right? So in that company things were just a lot slower it was like i think they had celebrated like 20 years in you know their birthday and it was very much the company that had found what it done what sorry, found what it does and just executes on that and i think had kind of settled into a rhythm where change was done very cautiously probably for good reason right there was probably change happened and then like the whole system shut down and there was a process put in place then to stop that happening again and then maybe a couple of months later something else went wrong so there's a process put in to make sure that that doesn't happen again and i just i joined uh world then like in a sort of in a very mature state and then i was like hey why don't we try this and then it was like okay cool so you need to do a risk assessment and uh you need to also fill out this rfp you need to talk to a couple of vendors and, and i was just like it's just a it's just a blog plugin like can i just install it and just see if it works or not when i joined flipdish then um it was like the opposite problem i remember one day i was sitting beside the ceo actually back before covid and the front-end developer was behind me so i just basically thought out loud to myself about some specific feature i was like why do we do this here why don't we do it this way And I can't I don't remember what it was, but it was the CEO was beside me and like who had built the whole system. And he was like, I can't remember why I did it that way. Yeah, it makes sense to change it. Let's change it. And the front end developer was behind me and he was like, hey, I'm in that file now. You want me to change it now? And I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. Like this, this, shouldn't this take six weeks? Like what's going on? And it was very, it was liberating, right? It was amazing to have like, I think we got that deployed like that day. Um, But then a couple of weeks later, I was like, all right, cool. And I started to like to flex those muscles a bit. I made a decision that we should like turn something off or or remove or change something and we did it and all of a sudden, then later on that day, a client called in and said, Hey, where's this thing on? I need it. Like my store is broken and uh, it was my fault. And I was like, oh, okay, damn, I'm going to have to try and fix that. And went to the front end developer and he was like, you just told me to turn that off. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Can we please turn it back on? Uh, Yeah, I've definitely screwed up, but if you can use logic and reason, especially in Flipdish I find if if there's logic and reason behind what you're doing and, and competence, I suppose, from a fundamental point of view, nobody like it's fine to try things. It's like it's the typical Facebook thing, right? Move fast and break stuff. But that gets harder and harder the bigger you are because the risk is larger, right? If you if you break something now, you're impacting way more people than you would have a year ago. And so there's that balance to be found. It's something actually that, you know, it's as things develop in Flipdish and we grow and there's more people and more teams and more inevitably more processes. I can see those processes coming in and like things maybe not get slower necessarily, but a bit more. There's just more people to talk to to get something done. And it's one of the things I'm trying to make sure we as a company and as, as a product team, I guess. Stay very flexible, and we need to always be asking, like, wait, does that process still make sense? Because maybe it doesn't. And that's like, even in the onboarding that we do with the new starters in product, it's like, look, we started building this. On- I started building this onboarding two years ago when we started expanding the product team. A lot of it's probably broken. Uh, You need to tell me over the next couple of months what you find doesn't make sense anymore and we'll fix it and make make it better for the next person that comes along. So to answer your question, there's been many, many screw ups. But I think as long as there's a very open nature or culture, I suppose, and thankfully that allows you to screw up as long as you're willing to fix it quickly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I think a combination of reacting fast, learning from mistakes, that imposter syndrome, I think is fuel for a lot of people as well to just get better. Because the only way to not feel like an imposter is to read more books, learn more shit and continue and continue. I think it just, I I know it's what motivates me to read as much as I do about what's going on and everything else. Because I'm so worried about being found out as a fraud that, you know, (laughs) it's like, I just need to stay a chapter ahead. (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah, It's funny, isn't it? Like, what is that? I think it's, it's almost an evolutionary trait, isn't it? Like it's probably a human thing. Like the, the humans that were satisfied with where they were just didn't prosper.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. like
1: a constant fear of not being good enough. So we constantly battle to be better.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's definitely some weird psychology behind it because we all have it. We haven't adapted to yeah. the, as I call the fake world of the internet jobs yet. So there's definitely some mm. real evolutionary traits that are wreaking havoc in our new imaginary world that we're building. Yeah. Now you're freaking me out now. <laughs> but let's not do that. You'll just you'll just disconnect, go off, and panic in a corner somewhere. Yes. Existential crisis caused by Nile. Yeah, I haven't done that to anyone yet, so that would be a new. one. <laughs> yet being the key word, or nobody's yep. come back to tell me anyway. So you then went from product into well, you got promoted into header product. Obviously, is that new? Did you get? Promoted after the massive funding round recently, or that's why you got the massive funding round? I guess they put you in head of product. Exactly,
1: and then... I was like, "Oh, you've got Chris Dermody in there now. Here, take my money." No, not quite. So, yeah, I joined Flipdish, and I think when I joined, it was basically so it was effectively just the CEO and the CTO dealing with. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's somewhere between eleven and fourteen developers at the time. I think. Um, And there was no real product management structure. Obviously, the CEO and CTO were sort of effectively the product managers. But of course, at that stage, like we were going, we were like pursuing funding. We were growing rapidly. When I joined, they were just launching the sales teams across UK, France, Germany, Spain and the US, right? So that was kind of consuming the whole company at the time and, and trying to figure out what product changes were needed there. So I was able to come in and be the sort of the product manager to take what we, what were sort of broad things we need to do and distill them into more deliverable pieces of work that a development team can actually reason about and and deliver on in terms of just basic requirements so and i was doing that for a year in the year that i was there we basically so we had by my count about six or seven different products technically Uh, so we've like the online ordering we had the mobile apps and we had a, a client facing portal that we were building out we also had a Windows-based app that we were building and we a couple of other sort of projects too. Um, but I was primarily focused on the self-serve client portal, um, but also sort of like filling in where needed on all of the other products and trying to figure out like, you know, what's a basic kind of flow makes sense for a given solution. And then in that time in that year that I was there or the first year that I was there we also built out kiosks and another a terminal app which is an android based device which is used bikes like restaurants kitchens to print off orders and to manage orders refund orders view orders etc so we had like six, seven or eight products and after a year i was like so can we please get some more of me to do some of these product work like I'm, I'm a bit stretched and they you know and i think this happens typically in many i saw it in lots of different departments in Flipdish, and effectively like it was like right cool we're not hiring someone to go and figure out hiring you just go hire them and and figure it out basically and i was like okay cool never done this before but let's figure it out i'd done a little bit of hiring and a little bit of management but i hadn't started building out a, like my own product team ever so that was a new a new thing for me and, and again made lots of mistakes but it, w- it was in the end it worked out okay ish so far anyway time will tell so time will tell yeah <laughs> it's going it's not going too badly so far and i'm really happy like i've been one of like the team we have now we so we hired a, or we got in a vp of product last yeah just over a year ago i suppose a year and two months ago and he's been great james has just been he brings i remember when we were when we were you no know, a year two years ago i suppose we were talking like Who do we bring in? What kind of team topology makes sense? I was very, like, I was open. I was like, I've never done this before. I can give you what a best guess is, what I think makes sense for our situation. But how about we try and go find somebody who's done this before, uh, maybe two or three times, and knows the mistakes that I'm about to make and can tell us not to make those mistakes. And happily, we were able to find James Grimes, who's done this before and was able to come in and tell us not to make those mistakes. Uh, and I think that's been a common theme across the board. I think the like from executive level all the way down across all the different teams as we continue to build them out, find people who have done this before and want to be involved in a really fast growing uh, company in a really interesting industry and get them in and let them do their job. And that's what we've been doing. And it's, been, it's working really well so far. Not everything's perfect and it never will be, right? That's a, an impossible situation to get to. But we've been really lucky, I think, with with our product team. It's unlucky in, in some ways. We, we've lost one or two people, one of them to uh, a, oh my God, I've forgotten the, the incubator in the US. What's that one? Y Combinator? Yes, Y Combinator, yes.
0: That's a good place to lose them too. That's a good sign of talent and stuff. You know, you can't, even, you can't even hate them that much. That's the problem. no it
1: I was like, like well, yeah, Simon was his name. When he came to me, he's like, hey, Chris, can we talk? It was like on a Friday, I was like, Simon, what are you doing? And he was like, so uh, my startup got into Y Combinator. I was like, no, Simon, why do you, why do you hate me? yeah but I was delighted for him like oh, he was like, it's too big of an opportunity to not to knock over I was like absolutely like you know
0: hundred percent. Simon, if you're listening, he has his middle finger to the screen uh- <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: absolutely nah he, he knows I love him. Uh, yeah. I joke I, I joke and say that I taught him everything he knows, but everyone knows that's not true. So yeah, we actually have another, we have a developer, an engineer, who just handed in his notice because his company just got a load of funding. So it's an interesting development that the, the type of person that we've managed to attract so far are only leaving because they have started their own very successful companies and businesses. Um, so there's a lot of, one of the things I love about FlipDish is just there's so many really talented people here. And I'm constantly just, learning from them just by osmosis just by being near them and hearing them what they say about different things like we have a fantastic product marketing team now or our flip managed marketing team where we manage the online paid presence for the restaurants and they're able to every month or so when we meet up they're able to tell us like what's the latest regarding organic seo and, and paid marketing and all that kind of thing is just being around that type of person is fantastic
0: I know for a fact that everyone gets on really well in there because I have a couple of friends who work in there. Yeah, I won't say names because <laughs> it'll give them too much kudos. Do you know, just be, to be friends with a cool person like me, you know? Of course. One guy in particular I know who um, I, I'm so delighted is in there because he's loving his time because he was somebody I did an online degree with for coding and he nearly dropped out of coding completely but I used to go up to his house and sit with him and code to get him over the line and I'm so happy that he's just so excited about going to work every day and loves the flexibility he has and everything for working with yourselves and more importantly and selfishly I am a fan of Flipdish because I get Romeos delivered to my house quite a lot (laughs) so (laughs) you know getting to use something quite frequently probably too I'm not going to admit how frequently
1: (laughs) Males, yeah. One of our, one of our, yeah. Well, yeah. Very, very high up there on our client list. Anyway, in Ireland, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I know, I it's you—you've you, reminded me. Actually, I remember my local place, a Quattro Woodfire Pizza. It's my favourite pizza anywhere, actually, that I found. Um, I used to get it all the time. Not so much lately, actually, because I need to shave off a few pounds coming into summer. You know, I remember I was—I was getting it from them, and I got a text message from them saying, "Hey, we haven't seen you in a while." here's 20% off your next order if you use it within the next two days to to order a pizza or whatever. I was like, oh my God, that is so smart. Like, I remember looking at it going, that is like, I wasn't gonna, but now that I have 20% off, you know, and it's like, I usually order on a Friday and you've sent me this text, like, I am definitely ordering pizza tonight. And a couple of weeks later, then I interviewed in Flipdish and like, they were talking me through all of the things I do. And we're like, oh, we have this retention program for our clients where we send them a text. I was like, wait, do you do Quattro? I was like, you got me. You absolutely got me straight away i was like oh okay that is like just smart and it's like it's a simple it's a simple thing you know customer hasn't ordered from store x in y time frame sending this text with a with this generated voucher like it's it's not a massively complex system but it absolutely got me and we see from the data it works
0: It gets me Um, all the time as well, but like, now I have a rubber elbow when it comes to not cooking, so (laughs) I am low-hanging fruit, so I would have not said it's the best, but it's funny, it's just, I guess nobody tells you how weak they are, but it was a text that convinced their diet to go out the window.
1: I remember I bumped into a friend of mine there a while back, and she was like oh what are you doing now i was like oh i work in a company called flipdish and she was like oh flipdish i know flipdish i was like how do you know flipdish she was like oh well i know my local chinese place uses flipdish because i see the logo and it's like powered by flipdish and so i was like wow okay i did not realize we had a consumer like presence but it's interesting it's quite a pull like people like getting to work on something that your friends can use or do use like whether they even realize it or not is is quite unique like when i was on the market for a pm role back when i was looking around and you'd see oh there's like this financial services product manager or like here's like we're building software for accountancy or whatever and it's like that's yeah okay that's fine i'm sure it's successful but it's not something i would see every day whereas like here like if you walk the block of of sandiford you would see flipdish kiosks you would see flipdish qr codes in the window uh, you would see the different restaurants actually that are delivering via Flipdish. So yeah, like just it's so visible that it's it's just an interesting element to the role uh, that you don't usually get in in a lot
0: of other companies. Are you enjoying the podcast? Just so you know, most people will find this show through sharing. If you have a friend that you think would like this show too, open the app, tap that share button, and send them a real quick text. This will really help the podcast out to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening now let's get back to the show i would love to know what does a head of product do day to day and what's different between being a head of product versus product management i guess sure
1: yeah for me at least product management you're not managing people in product management it's a very you're leading people but not managing them which is a subtle but important difference you have to persuade people around to your way of thinking as opposed to just telling them what you're doing the head of product then at least how we define it in Flipdish. dish so we have basically three verticals and we split them up that way is because they're quite different in terms of the skill set or approach needed for each vertical so we have con- consumer experience which is the software we build and maintain for the actual like ordering food right so the what the consumer sees when they're either ordering a mobile app or web or a kiosk or a table ordering or whatever and that's one it's like that's a, a specific skill set to build and design for consumers and then we have a different we have another vertical for the client facing software that we build so that's our the flip portal the Flippish terminal our windows app to a certain extent and one or two other small projects too and that's it's its own entity you've got your like different your software as a service you've got your upgrades that are in the portal that kind of thing ancillary services and that kind of thing that's their two sort of verticals um, each one would have a head of product, a head of that vertical, let's say. And then we've got integrations as well. So integrations are such a key element. We'll often have point of sale integrations and they need their orders just to go straight to their point of sale and then not have, not have any extra overhead in terms of operational things that they have to do in order to get online orders via FlipDish. So integrations are a huge a huge element, but they're its own entity again. There's It's its own sort of, it's its own realm of development and engineering so that's our three verticals and each vertical has a head of product and i'm sitting in the, on the client side so on the b2b side so in our vertical we've currently got three teams that are focused on the on the client side software we'll see how the rest of this year and next year goes because it's kind of we're gonna we're growing the team aggressively again probably growing our product portfolio as well but i won't say too much about that and yeah we'll see what the product or the head of product role evolves into but effectively we are leading the product managers and and their teams making sure that everyone is moving in the same direction alignment internally in Flipdish right now is a very hot topic we have to be laser focused on on the right things at the right time. If we're starting to pull in different directions, we'll be like every team will do great work, but if it's not in the right direction, the company isn't moving in the right direction as as, as effectively as it could. My day today is uh, at the moment it's hiring and onboarding, so we're still building up those teams, trying to give our new incoming product managers all of the context that they need in order to do their jobs effectively. like we're hiring we're not hiring juniors. we are hiring experienced, talented people who can come in. With a wealth of experience and knowledge, and they just need to know the context in which they operate so that they can work effectively. And we've that's that's been working really well so far with the PMs. We've been bringing in, um, just like giving them all of the information they need to know. And then letting them loose so uh more of that for the rest of the year from a header product point of view and um, working with their other verticals making sure that we're all aligned and that the any global initiatives not global in terms of geography but i guess global that span all of the different verticals making sure we're all interlinked and making sure that let's say menu team in the on the b2b side and uh, when they build a feature let's say allergens is one we're working on um at the moment the consumer apps and the integration side all need to be aware of when that information is available so that they can then use it in on the consumer apps as well as on the integrations and um, so making sure that the inter interplay is happening there at a at a global level um and and then taking the company strategy and making sure that our roadmaps are in place and that they're solid and everyone is agreed and aligned on them and any changes to those roadmaps are warranted so we are very, we're a very open company. I mentioned that before, right? I think we need to be adaptable and flexible. If an opportunity comes up or something presents itself that uh, makes sense to go for, we need to be able to say, actually, now that makes sense to go for and do and not do this other thing. And any changes then to our roadmap need to be justified and make sure that it's the right decision for for what we're trying to do. Um, and that bore fruit when COVID hit, of course, right? So when COVID hit us, You know, we didn't know what was going to happen. Everybody took a pay cut. We didn't know we're going to be layoffs, like what was going to happen. But very quickly then we realized, oh, deliveries can still happen. And all of a sudden there's hundreds of thousands of stores that need to do deliveries and collection that didn't need it before. And FlipDish is perfect because we can get them set up in hours, less than hours. So, yeah, that adaptability and being able to say, okay, well, you know, maybe we don't do this product that we've been working on for a couple of weeks or maybe a few months and we park that for now. Until it makes sense to pick it up again, and we actually focus on table ordering, queue ordering, pay delivery, that kind of thing,
0: um, in a bigger way. So, it it, it leans on ne- nicely because it's got one of the, the questions. Then, really, is the change from working on startup to somewhere funded, and I guess this is all this this journey has happened pretty much over COVID, remotely, and everything else, yeah. nearly. And I think you you probably have answered it in the sense of you're not doing hands on product management; you're making sure the visions aligned and the you're hiring people and managing people. So I guess you don't have the time to be sitting there with doing the user research like you had in the past. Are they the only changes or is there any other big changes that have happened from going from startup to where you are now?
1: Sure. So I'm still actually in quite in the weeds uh, until we're, we're trying to hire for our menu PM. So until we have that person, I am, I'm working in the weeds as every day as a PM, writing Jira tickets and, and, and trying to, get things done with that team while also juggling the the head of product stuff in terms of what's changed so one of the things is that reactivity you know when we were smaller we could like if a large client came to us or relatively large for the time and said they needed you know feature x in order to get a deal done like we as a company we had to be able to go cool let's down tools and jump on that and for the next week or two get that done so that we get that client done that is good in the sense that you can be very quick and adapt to customer problems and and get deals done and push the company forward in a meaningful way that's bad because you're bouncing from fire to fire from thing to thing you've got no real it's impossible to have any sort of long term roadmap or like not not direction but any sort of I remember we tried to do not long after I joined, we were like, right, what's the next six months look like? And we planned it out and spent a you know good bit of effort on it. And then like none of that six months actually was what it, we thought it would be because opportunities arise, problems come up, bugs come up, whatever, and we needed to just get them done. So that like as a smaller company, I think the smaller you are, the more adaptable you need to be. And I think... Looking back, I I wish I accepted that more is what I'm trying to say because it it can cause a lot of friction where you're like, you you know, maybe you spend a week or two planning out this thing and then something else pops up and that's all sort of almost wasted time because even if you pick it up again in six weeks, you have to go back and almost start from the start and go, right, where were we with this? So as we grew, as we got the funding, as the teams expanded, as our capabilities and resources got better, as we brought in a marketing team or a product marketing team, I should say, then inevitably all of those teams then need to know, right, what's happening next month and two months and three months? I need to know what's my my comms calendar on the product marketing side. Like, who do I need to be? What do I need to get translated for the help desk? You know, there's, a, there's a lot more lead time that has to happen. So as you get bigger, then you need to be a lot better at that planning. And inev- inevitably, you become less able to react in a snap way like you could when you're smaller. Um, I think that's the typical thing. Like people say that the smaller companies have that have that advantage, right? You can move a lot quicker, um, and I never think I don't think I fully appreciated that until I've joined Flipdish when I did and I saw the transition into the company we are now and, and the direction we're going. And uh, inevitably, you you just can't from culturally if you if you are a company that jumps on the next opportunity like overnight. You're, you yeah. can't have a long-term roadmap. You're never going to attract enterprise customers because enterprise clients are looking at you going, right, well, if we get in bed with you, we need to know for the next three to five years you're going in the direction we're going and we're aligned that way. So you need to tell us what your three to five year roadmap is like from a product yeah. point of view. And if you can't provide that, you're not going to get the deal. And if you do provide it and don't adhere to it, then you're going to lose the insurance and affect the relationship in that industry. So that, that's one thing I noticed that as a smaller company, you can be much more adaptable. And even internally, though, just understanding what that is. Like I remember when we started hiring product managers, I was explaining to them like, look, you're coming into a very, very adaptable, quick moving company. If you're not able to, if, you, if, you're, if it upsets you to like plan some Something and then not do it this it's not going to work out and, and you shouldn't you shouldn't join flipdish and yeah i think so that's one one big thing and now that's not to say we're not adaptable we adapt every single day and we're very open and sort of if an opportunity arises we we look at it and go cool what what would it take to you know to make the most of that opportunity and are we willing to make that compromise and um, but you definitely become less able to make those quick snap decisions the smaller you are i suppose what the other thing then is so as inevitably like as you grow you've got these growing pains right you've got where previously maybe i might have written a blog post which marketed a specific feature and i could get it done in 20 minutes um you know i just spin something up a few screenshots of the feature and it's hey flipdish now does this and here's how to do it and there you go and that's our marketing for the feature done right Nowadays, it's, well, we operate in seven different localized markets. There needs to be a Flipdish Academy video made about it. We need help desk articles translated. We need to have an email campaign going out to leads as well as existing clients explaining how to use a new feature and get the most out of it. There's way more to it now where you could do something quick and dirty yourself. Previously, you're now talking to six different teams, potentially across different time zones to figure out the best way to do something. And that's inevitably a bit slower. And also the transition into that is quite difficult like every single week almost it feels because flipped in Flipdish we're growing so aggressively uh every single week is like okay who now do i talk to for this where there maybe there was one person last week now there's like a team of three i have to talk to and and let them know about it and you know catch them up on where we are with the feature so i guess the point i'm trying to make is that transition from smaller to larger and being very open about right We have this process or had this process, does it still make sense? No, cool, let's change it and figure and this is now our process. And in two or three months we'll probably revisit and go, actually that doesn't make sense anymore. Let's change it again. So yeah, I think that that adaptability is critical. If you get to and it it comes down to as well, I think the type of person that you bring into the teams, like the you cannot have people that aren't comfortable with that flexibility. Like and, and not everyone is, and not not everyone needs to be or should be. It's not a it's not if you're not that open to change it's not necessarily a flaw in your person uh, it's just the type of person you are and i think you know we, we spoke about psychometric tests earlier and that's one of the things that we look for is that like can they handle the adaptability that's needed um to work in a company like Flipdish this as, as we continue to grow i can never remember the guy's name ken ken brock he wrote a product book but i went to an online sort of uh fireside chat with him and he it was some, one of the things he said that stuck with me was there's three different types of product managers there's the the scrappy product manager who can kind of do a little bit of everything and get you from zero to one right they can go they can take an idea and get it to one and then there's a, there's a the growth product manager who isn't as scrappy but can work really well across different teams and get something from one to ten and um, and then there's a third type of product manager who's really good at taking a mature product and just managing that um, and optimizing it for for revenue over the over a course of ten years, let's say. And it's something I never I never realized because, but it made so much sense. And I've seen those type of people uh, in all of my different roles as PM in or product ma- in product in different companies. I've seen, and I never fully understood like why like you're more flexible here, but and you're very more you're more rigid, but you're better at this. And I never understood that dynamic but it really stuck with me when he said it i can't remember his name i'll, I'll send it on but uh, yeah please do yeah, i'm the, sure
0: he has an article on it because i'd love to read that that sounds uh very enlightening as well
1: yeah it, it, it opened like i mean it made some as soon as i heard it I was like yes absolutely like there's there's certain types of pms and i it's funny like I, i'm often afraid that flipdish will outgrow me because i feel like i, I quite suited the, the smaller not small but like the I feel like I'm generally okay at a lot of things. like I feel like I can throw together a, like a relatively okay design or user experience. I can code a tiny bit, well, not a tiny bit. I can code enough to be dangerous, like I like to say, and enough to be about product. I can write up a blog post about marketing. I can talk to people about things. That's something I think from a from hiring p m point of point of view, I think you need to be conscious of what kind of pm are you hiring for? What kind of traits do you need? Like, are they taking a mature product and just milking it and there's no real, and maybe it's a sort of a semi-sunsetting product? Or is it like an idea of a product that needs to be gotten from zero to one? And they're two very different people.
0: I never actually thought about it that way either. And it's funny because depending on where you're sitting in in the journey, one of those people looks very incompetent. Like if you're at the start and looking at the third type of person, you're like, this person is useless right now. So it is a case of getting the right people at the right time. Yeah, yeah, it's Ken Sandy,
1: sorry. Uh executive level product management. Just looked him up on LinkedIn. Ken Sa- Ken Sandy is the guy's name. I can't find his Influential. Book, but yeah. Uh influential. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, influentialpm.com, influential Yeah, that's the one. When he said it, it just stuck with me. So yeah. I think I and I've seen that like when we've been hiring PMs like we the the PMs who maybe are a bit more analytical and very much around the data, like they're in the, what I think they're in the middle, right? They're not like at the start. Because at the start, you don't have data. You just have to go on sort of flying by the seat of your pants and intuition almost. And then it's only in stage two, then you start to have data. And three, of course, you've got data. Um, but uh, yeah, we've seen PMs who maybe a bit too analytical and kind of not comfortable in the unknown as much. And they're a bit, just a bit slower to move than the stage one, product managers might be which depending on where your company is at maybe you can afford and maybe you can't afford
0: that's a wide variety of skill sets and i guess this is why there isn't many formal courses for doing this stuff because it's a very different skill depending it's usually somebody pulled out of somewhere to help with strategy or to help with from design or for help from engineering and it's very different styles of people and you alluded this before the call as well we were talking about different product managers suiting different CEOs in the early days. But but before I jump back into that, what I was thinking is if there was an area of product management you think most people should get good at, something I preach for instance, and you can steal it if you want. If something I preach to people as always is to get good at talking to people, get good at finding out what people are actually saying. I don't know if there's any areas in product management that you think would be crucial that people should just pick up, especially if they're running their own business yeah so i think
1: i'm tempted to steal your one but i don't want to just say communication because it's such a it's a bit of a cop-out but one of the things that we notice in flip especially as we continue to grow is over communicating from a product point of view and um, almost can't be done it you can't really over communicate enough the telling in, internal people and clients about what you're building why you're building and how to get success with what you're building is almost 80 like it, the code nearly a secondary to that almost talking to people like you mentioned i think finding out what they're actually saying one of the like one of the things one of the things we look for in pms as well is that sort of entrepreneurial bent i suppose and experience because they'll have had to come up against this where so a client is asking for something or even if you're in uh if you're in contracting and like in an agency or whatever and you've got a client that way and they're asking for something like they want a button here and um, from a simplistic point of view you go okay cool we can add a button there but then you add it and it's like, well, no, but I wanted it to do this. Like, okay, well, I didn't know you wanted it to actually do something. Or, you know, I didn't know that was the problem you want solved. Being able to talk to somebody and I suppose empathize and, and just, it's the typical, it's almost cliche at this stage, right? Asking the five whys, right? Like, why do you want that? Oh, well, because X. Or like, But why? Why do you want X? Oh, because Y. Well, yeah, but why do you want Y?
0: First principles, really. I, I Not a lot of people use it, though, but that's first principles, is digging into yeah. the real reason why
1: yeah and if i was on a call now with a product manager and a client and the pm was kind con- just like one word answer and said why i would go what are you doing like stop asking why but uh, <laughs> yeah. like you would it, it, you do have to get you to you dig right because like, they won't do that for you right they will just say i want it here i want this thing to do this yep and it's it's too easy it's, it's actually it's a mark of a junior product manager when they just go all right cool yeah well we we'll probably have that in two weeks uh Whereas a more senior person will have known, they've been through this and they'll know, but like, okay, well, what do you expect it to do? And like, okay, well, you know, have you tried an Excel spreadsheet for that? Because we can actually, I can give you a formula in Google Sheets that does that already. And maybe we'll do that first and I can give you the data that way and then see what you want to do with that data. And then we take it from there. One of the things I say to the PMs that we join or that join FlipDish in our onboarding is the best code is the code you don't have to write. <laughs> if you have to, If you have to write code, you have to design it write it test it maintain it debug it um and potentially eventually sunset it and and kill it uh, and that's a lot of work to do never mind actually feature flagging it and that, all that kind of thing and um, one of the things we say internally is and especially nowadays right actually simon here's another shout out for your company no loco they're make, building a, a no code platform for building apps right so that would be my first port of call now when a client says oh i need to be able to do this uh, i was like cool well here's the raw data let's put this in a google sheet and i can run it through this processing of this you know formula and sorted by this and now here's your answer to your question now what do you want to do with this um and then it's much easier for them to figure out mentally oh well now i want to be able to send a text message to those people or do something all right cool well then we can take these user ids and put them in here or whatever and or send them into twilio or whatever um so yeah getting talking to people figuring out what is the underlying problem and then can you solve that problem in a basic way with no code because the best code is the code you don't have to write uh, and then take it from there and that helps under, that helps get to the why right so if they if you, if they don't really because clients want to often understand what like, they might intuitively understand but not be able to actually communicate it and um, so showing them the the first piece of data that they need uh, or they think they need and then saying cool here it is now what do you want to do is often a great way to get to the underlying why. Oh, well, I want to X.
0: Um, so yeah, I ho- hopefully you, I didn't totally steal your one. No, no, you added to it brilliantly as well. I think I see a lot of technical founders and that's where it kind of makes me think of is the technical founders often think it's quicker to sketch in code and build things and just ship it. And I, I see that a lot, especially because I'm so heavily embedded in the, the tech community here and coder community that I see a lot of technical founders are just like, I'll build it and I'll test it that way and then I'll change it with the code. Mm. And I'm like, go, just pick up Figma or something and just yeah. show them what it is before you go there. It's infinitely quicker. And it's a very counterintuitive thing to tell somebody who knows how to code and doesn't know Figma that it will be faster to pick up Figma and try it that way.
1: Yeah, it's a. I think it's a very common pitfall. And I've fallen into it myself many years ago. Or well, I mean, not many years ago. I think as coders, right, we like coding. We like building things uh, and seeing things change on screen, right? So our default is like, oh, I'll just code it. It's less cognitive energy to just code it than it is to think through, you know, without actually seeing it on screen. But yeah, I love like Figma, I think is a fantastic tool. Miro as well. I think yeah. they're
0: very close to,
1: oh, we use them every day in Flipdish, basically.
0: I don't know why I defaulted. I didn't even say, like, some design tool. I just defaulted to Figma because in my head, that's what I go to.
1: Like you said, it's so, so quick, right? Like, so literally every single day in here, we'll take a screenshot of, a, like, our portal, for instance, of a, and we'll often, like, I'll actually open up the developer console and just give myself some extra white space if I want to put it, something into the page, right? Just make something a, an explicit height in the console and then screenshot that, throw it into Figma, and then just throw some stuff in there, and it's so much quicker to just glue together a couple of screens of a quick prototype and then you can give that to a client and say, here, does this work for you? What doesn't it not, What doesn't work for you about that? Again, it comes back to what I was talking about earlier, like the, the, the why. Okay, here's the first bit of information that you asked for and now what do you want to do with it? But yeah, I think it's a very common, it's a very, because we like, you know, we like building things, right? So I can't think of any situation where it's actually quicker to code it or better to code it than it is to first build a prototype.
0: So... It's it's a major gripe of mine, and I, I'm gonna have to end uh, like to giving out about people who don't plan it out beforehand <laughs> in a second because I've run my own kind of software development agency. I've worked for other software development agencies, and there's so many people who just like look. If I give you say a hundred grand, can't you just build it? Mm-hmm. And it's just like build what? You haven't <laughs> been very clear here. You're saying you want an app that. Uh, sell shoes for instance or something like that but what shoes what this what, where are you going to what's all this and like I don't know we'll figure it out and yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's kind of like do you want to spend a few thousand earlier on to make sure you're building the right thing and a lot of people don't so I don't think it's exclusively no coders that want that it's just I think in our own heads it's easier to jump to I have it solved and then you know cry later
1: yeah 100% yeah I think that's why as product people it's especially in a company like, like Flipdish, uh, I know I keep talking about Flipdish, but it's where I work. <laughs> the it's you're all you almost have to be the the guardian of product in a sense. Like you have to be like not to be precious about it, but just to sorta of, to try and use what you have like tools like Google Sheets or Simon's No Loco or Figma or whatever to get the sort of first because a lot of people don't know what they want because they don't they can't visualize it they can't think it all the way through whereas like i said if you give them the first step or first two or three steps and then they'd be like oh that's not what i meant i don't really want that data. i want this thing over here i think that's uncommon on us as, as product people to guard the product in that way and to
0: tease that out in all those conversations and you, you alluded to this earlier you said that uh, everyone in there especially in the early days is very entrepreneurial including yourself like you've tons of side projects as well, which I just think is outrageous because you're already juggling so much shit in there that I'm trying hard to juggle just my own thing right now without doing other things. Well, I guess I'm doing this. This is something I have added extra to the pile. Are you using those side projects to learn from or do you have the ultimate goal of starting something yourself or what drives you to do that?
1: So I was going to touch on it a little bit earlier on when we were talking about, you know, going straight to code and I was going to throw in the caveat because I, I experienced this myself. Like, so I was going to throw in the caveat that maybe sometimes you just want to code and sometimes I just want to code, right? I don't really like my side projects, like they get a couple of visitors and every now and again, if I share something on Reddit or something, I might get a spike. But the main goal for them right now is just a creative outlet. Like that's all they are really. I don't... I've seen internally in Flipdish what it takes to make a good product and to make it a success. It's not just an engineer or a product person like myself. It is a team of sales marketers, engineers to maintain this. Like it's more than just me. <laughs> and I'm not, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I, I look up to a lot of the indie hackers like Peter Levels or, I can't even think of any other names, but there's lots of people maybe, or can't remember the guy's name, on the art of product. I think his name's Peter as well. Anyway, yeah, there's lots of, people who are doing it maybe as solo founders, but for me, my side projects are really just, primarily they're just an outlet. I just wanna sit down, put on the headphones, have a coffee and code for a while on an idea, a random idea that I have. And then sometimes they're also just to understand the technical things that maybe the team is dealing with. I wanted to to understand, so we went through a transition internally in FlipDish from one translation service to another because of, we just outgrew the first one basically. And I never, I'd never built in translations into any of my side projects because I just, just coded in English or whatever. Um, And so I wanted to understand what the teams were dealing with in terms of like like how it integrates into a deploy or the yeah a development workflow. And so I just spun up uh, a new yeah one of my my latest idea i guess i wanted to from the outset have it localized and it was just a tool then just to try and figure out oh okay cool this is what the developers are what's even possible in terms of localization here's the problems around like pluralization on localization or how do you manage different time zones and time formats and different locales and that's everything that we're dealing with in Flipdish, but from a product point of view i wouldn't have understood the technical sort of um challenges there and um, whereas just getting hands-on with it and figuring oh okay well this should say you know one product when there's a single product but it should say three products when it's plural and how does that like translate into different languages so It's a bit of both. Primarily, they're just uh, creative outlets for where I don't have to talk to anybody to build something. Like in Flipdish, as I said, you have to talk to six different teams and figure out a roadmap and talk to your engineers and make sure that they're happy with the solution or not that they're happy with the solution, but that they've created the solution of the problem that you've identified. Whereas when it's yourself, you just sit down, as I said, coffee, headphones on, nice. Spotify playlist
0: and just code something up and get something built in a, an hour or so. I, I love that. I'm just picturing you walking up to some engineers just going, fuck you, I, I knew it could be done. You said it couldn't be done.
1: <laughs> well, that's the other thing. got to keep them on their toes. I've been, I've, I actually put an idea. We have hackathons every we're doing actually soon i think and we have a, a page in notion where we like anyone can throw in ideas for hackathons and i was like i wonder can this be done so i threw in an idea and i wasn't sure if it, it was technically feasible but now i know it can be done <laughs> so i'm like no i know that can be done i look here it is in my side project
0: have you ever thought of doing uh, one of those hackathons more publicly
1: uh, from in Flipdish, you mean yeah yes actually that was considered i don't know where the latest on that is though
0: let, we'll have to have a chat afterwards because I know ourselves in Kodoo and the Kodu community would We have a huge community for that kind of things But also I know the people over in Code Institute very well They're always looking for people to team oh. up with to do the old hackathons with and things So it might be a good one since I know from talking before this that you're trying to do a big career drive as well Going straight to the coding schools is always a, an easy win Happy days, yeah, that'd be great, yeah,
1: fantastic I'll
0: connect you after this as well because, yeah, there are great people in there
1: Amazing. That'd be sweet. Yeah. Happy days.
0: Yeah. So there you go. There's the there's, there's plan. And I'm going to pretend I'm one of the students and lose miserably and be ashamed of myself <laughs> then.
1: I might join myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Up. Yeah, we'll team up and uh, we, we could be incompetent together. Yep. Happy to. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You've recommended a couple of bits of software. No Loco by Simon and the book, The Influential Product Manager. So I'm wondering, what are your... Favorite, well, we'll start with, what is your favourite book?
1: It has to be Marty Kagan, um, Inspired. Well, there's two, actually. He has Inspired and
0: uh, Empowered. I have... Where is it? It's probably out on my kitchen table. I have, if you had seen my tattered copy of Inspired, it is yeah. absolutely ravaged with notes and pen marks and sticky notes. And yeah, what is, a, that's what I always tell people, that's the gospel right, right there.
1: I was just about to say, it's the Bible. That is the Bible. Like, yeah. If you if you don't read yeah. anything else or understand anything else, just understand read and understand that book or those two books and you're
0: 99%. If you ever own like a motel or anything, you can slip them in instead of a Bible into all the drawers. And yeah, 100%. And the places. Yeah.
1: Our VP of Engineering recently left to go to get to move countries basically. So couldn't stay with us unfortunately. But he introduced me to, to Marty and... When he joined this, uh, the new company, I asked him on LinkedIn, like, hey, do they do they preach the gospel of our Marty there where you're moving to? He's like, oh, they will. Oh, they will. Don't you worry. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like he's a godlike figure, I should
0: say. Yeah, absolutely. I'm absolutely like that. That's one of those books I read every few months as well. I have a, yeah. both an audio book and physical copy and yep. I've listened to it and I read it and I'm, yeah, it's and I always give it away as well. I'm always giving it to people. I, I should order another batch because I'm down to my last one now again.
1: It's fantastic. I think the it's an it's the only book I've ever been able to read again and again. Sorry, not the only book. There's one other book I'd like to read, but it's not product based. From Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power." I think it's
0: just fantastic. I haven't read that yet, book. and you're one of the. You, I've been recommended that a lot as well, so I'm definitely going to put that down as another recommendation. Um, yeah i think
1: like some people take it too far read it too literally and try to use it as like a tool to like manipulate people but it's more it's more just an insight into human psychology that's just really interesting and the like different power dynamics that can happen anywhere like from war to workplace to wherever but yeah sorry to come back to the uh, to marty kagan i can reread that book and it's almost like i'll read it when i'm on the way into like the office here and it gets it's like a it's like a it's like a, a palate cleanser for anything else you're thinking about. You just get into product mode and you're like, cool, I'm, I'm ready for work now. It's like whatever. It doesn't matter what chapter you're listening to. There's always something gold there. Um, and it looks just 15, 20 minutes of listening. And you're like, yep, sweet. I'm, I'm ready to go now
0: so yeah we're here preaching I think we could do an article just preaching about how great Marty uh, Kagan as well I love the the, the fact that the chapters are like blog sized as well so you can Mm. get through a chapter and get a complete piece of knowledge in a short amount of time as well with no fluff so if people haven't read it and you've actually you're still listening to us talk about this you should obviously get that book that's the number one outcome from this whole podcast I think
1: (laughs) yeah definitely
0: 48 Laws of Power. Funny enough, the Bodo does books, books, uh, heavily recommended by, I have a mentor, Clive Foley, who I, I speak to nearly weekly about product and he, again, he recommended that. I haven't got around to it so now I, I really have to because I've heard it's fantastic. But Get the audiobook version. Yeah, the audiobook version.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know who narrates it there's, but the narrator has a fantastic voice and just, it, yeah, he's, he's uh, it's, a, it's just great to listen on, on.
0: I'll I'll definitely check that out then. Easy to win. I have a credit on Audible, so I'll be uh, chucking it on there afterwards. Then, what is your favorite piece of software that you're using every day? Like, I, I talked about, like, I'm a big fanboy of the script. People are probably sick of me mentioning it on the, this kind of section of the, the podcast as well. But what what's your favorite tool or thing you're nerding out about lately?
1: Yeah, I mentioned Miro earlier. I think Miro are just, like, just nailing it consistently. Um I think it's a fantastic tool and I think they do product really well. I think they communicate product changes and updates really well uh, whenever they make them. They make them a lot, so their pace of delivery is is really interesting and admirable or not admirable but enviable as well. I love Figma. I've been a, a huge proponent for Figma. I remember having an internal struggle with the design team in here like I'm not a designer so I don't have any say but I was like, you know, Figma's really good. I like Figma. Uh, purely just for prototyping really, but uh I might we managed to go with Figma in the end. Um I love Notion. I think Notion's fantastic. Um, I use it for... we Actually, Flipdish introduced me to Notion. I didn't. I wasn't aware of it before I joined three years ago. But uh, I use that now for
0: everything personal as well. Um, and I organized uh, questions with you before this um, that, yeah. with Notion. So you know I'm a huge fan as well. I, it's basically my whole life is sorted in there at the moment. So I, I'm a huge fanboy of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um,
1: what else? The primary ones are Miro, Figma, Notion. It's a bit sad that they're all like professional things I do in in
0: day-to-day nine-to-five or I think that's yeah. it really actually well, uh, that's just it's a trouble when you love what you do isn't it that you <laughs> uh, actually yeah. start to enjoy the tools that you use yeah, when it makes yeah. your job a little bit so yeah maybe we need hobbies Chris I'm guessing that's what it is
1: <laughs> yeah I was gonna say so I just on hobbies I was trying to think what do I do that's not work that I use might use software for and the only thing I can think of is go, uh, racing go karts. And there's not the only software to do with motorsport is just horrific. Um, so that is, I do not enjoy using that software. Next side actually, project for you. Don't tempt me. Don't you tempt me. I'll do it. <laughs> Flipdish hackathon, Chris. Why did you build a a, a lap timer <laughs> uh, a, a app for for Flipdish? It's like, well, Flipdish should move into motorsport. There's a lot of opportunity.
0: Yeah, we want to we want to time the delivery drivers to make sure they're having a, a circuit experience when they're out delivering. Oh, Yeah, yeah. Rank the delivery you know, drivers. It's, it's all about persuasion. How, the angle you come at, you know. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Finally, I guess what's the plan for Flipdish over the next 12 months? I know you're hiring lots. Is there anything specifically to call out on who you're looking for, anywhere I can help? Absolutely. This is your chance to, I know you've brought Flipdish loads already, but I'm really interested in seeing where we can put out the message for people if they want to come and help you out. Cool.
1: Yeah. So I'm specifically hiring for product roles, um, but we're hiring across everything, lots of engineering roles. So yeah, we, like a couple of months ago, we just got that huge round of investment from primarily led by Tencent and a couple of others, like Tiger Capital. Um, so there's huge growth happening. Um, I would say anyone who's just interested in FlipDish, but maybe they don't see a specific role that is applicable, just get in touch. We've hired lots of people who just made sense for the company, even though at the time we might not have made realized that the role made sense. So I would say, yeah, even if you're... Have a look at a careers page, obviously, if there's a role that you think suits let me know and, and we can talk about it and um, but even if there isn't please do get in touch and uh if you think you if there's something you can bring to Flipdish, because there's a lot of growth uh into numerous different areas over the rest of the year that i can't really talk about just yet but uh, yeah maybe one of those will fit you but yeah i'm primarily on the engineering and product side but across the whole like sales, I actually just referred somebody in for sales, and they crossed the line there the other day, which is great. So yeah, anything we're hiring for all across the board. I think we're targeting like 700 before the end of the year, but and we're at like wow. somewhere like 300 now, so it's like pretty insane.
0: Yeah, that uh, weekly uh, who am I talking to is about to get a lot worse. <laughs> yes, yes, it is
1: <laughs> indeed.
0: It's amazing. I'll share the link in the show notes with everyone so they can just click on the show notes to find all of that juicy stuff and then for you personally chris where can people find you
1: i have a website at chrisdermy.com i blog about random stuff every now and again and yeah that's probably the best place to, to get me i'm on twitter at cderm but i'm not particularly active but if you do give me a shout i'll try to get back to you and LinkedIn, of course.
0: Nice. I will share all of those places as well. I found you through your blog on Medium, actually. I commented on one of your posts that I thought oh, was very yeah, interesting. Yeah. It just shows you, even those odd blog posts and things I always tell people, it's great to put it out there because you just never know who you're going to meet through uh, creating the I've, odd bit of content.
1: I've met some fantastic people and, and interacted with people on, well, not even met, but just online met people who just randomly read something I wrote somewhere that I didn't even, I don't even remember writing, but yeah. It's great you should by default,
0: I think we should be just uh, working in public is a great way to be absolutely, and then you also get to meet awful people like me as well.:
1: yeah, yeah, two sides of the coin, you know
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fantastic i'm really I'm really excited uh, to see what happens with Fliptish in the future. obviously, one of the biggest startups in Ireland at the moment, it's very exciting all rounds, and if anything goes wrong with the product, we know exactly who to blame now, that's it. <laughs> it's Probably that translations change I made. exactly thanks a million for the time Chris it was a a great chat
1: Noel thank you very much it was a pleasure
0: I don't often get to talk to product people so it's even more exciting to get to chat with someone as experienced and as awesome as Chris I hope you enjoyed this episode half as much as I did because Chris is just awesome I love meeting people who are just passionate about what they do I've left links to all his socials in the show notes so please connect with him everywhere and if you know anyone who might want to work with Flipdish Chris has left his referral link to me. So you can click that little link down there and you'll get a referral from him. So that's always good to skip the queue. If you have any questions or suggestions, it's always easy to get me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Have a great week. Stay awesome. And I'll talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, I have a little favor to ask. If you could leave the podcast a kind review, it would really help the show out. It appeases the algorithm gods and helps me reach new people. So I really appreciate it. And until next time, my beautiful friends, keep learning and keep growing.